This is How Sound, the backstory to great radio storytelling. How Sound comes to you from PRX, the public radio exchange, and transom.org. I'm Rob Rosenthal, and I'm going to give away the surprise right at the beginning. On this edition of How Sound, I'm featuring the last of my live interviews with award-winning producers that were recorded at the Third Coast Festival in 2014. I saved the winner of the gold for last, Joe Richman. His piece called Teenage Diaries Revisited, Melissa's Story, took the top prize. But that's not the surprise. The surprise is this. Not only did I talk with Joe, but Melissa joined us on stage, too. Her full name is Melissa Rodriguez, by the way. And I think it was my favorite moment. Interviewing producers, well, I do that all the time. But getting a chance to talk to a character in a story about what the reporting process was like for them, well, that's unusual and a real treat. Melissa has a lot of valuable insight for radio producers, so stick around to hear what she has to say. Backing up for a minute, let me tell you about Joe Richman. Joe is a Peabody Award-winning producer and the founder of Radio Diaries. The stories coming out of his shop are some of the best on the radio. I'm a fanboy of so much of his work. The Two Lives of Asa Carter, Prison Diaries, My So-Called Lungs, Tembi and AIDS Diary, Mandela and Audio History, Willie McGee and the Traveling Electric Chair. I, I need to stop. <laughs> no, actually, there's one more I need to tell you about. In 1996, Joe gave tape recorders to teenagers around the country. They documented their lives on cassette tape. From those recordings, Joe produced a series called Teen Diaries. The series included stories about a boy with Tourette's, a girl having difficulties with her parents over her sexuality, and several other stories, including Melissa, teen mom. Melissa documented the birth of her son and the challenges she faced afterward as a young person with a child. Well, 16 years later, Joe gave out recorders again to a few of the teens who recorded themselves for Teen Diaries. Melissa was one of them, and Teenage Diaries Revisited, Melissa's story, took the gold at Third Coast. And as well it should have. The whole series should receive an award. And what's so amazing about this story and all of the diary work Joe produces is the honesty. The truth, just the, the truth told directly directly from the diarist to the listener. No narrator. The way Joe's stories sound, it seems like you're right there, right next to the diarist. Now, because of time constraints, I was only able to play excerpts from the story at Third Coast, but today we'll hear the whole piece. Afterward, I talked to Joe about producing the story, and as I mentioned, Melissa joins us too. Here's Teenage Diaries Revisited, Melissa's story. Today is October the 9th, and I have a brand new baby boy, seven pounds. His name is Isaiah Seto, and we would have recorded the birth, but it happened so fast. About half an hour. <laughs> you know, so I'm sorry you couldn't hear all the pain, but it was easy. <laughs> Just listening to it again, it's like, wow, that's me. <laughs> You know, when I was 18, I just thought you gave birth to a cute little kid and he was just going to be healthy and smiling all the time and cheery-eyed and all that good stuff. And that's how you think when you're young. You never think about what could possibly happen. Zaya! Okay. Testing. Okay, we're good. Let's do this. My name is Melissa Rodriguez. This is my apartment. Good 
morning, Tai Tai. Oh, toys everywhere. I have two boys. So this is Tyron. He's six years old. Say hi. Hi. So testing, testing. Don't do that. Okay. What's up with Zaya? What he up to? Zaya's my oldest. He's 16. Zaya! What? Smells like boy in here. What's that? Play video game. Yeah, what kind of video game is that? A shooting game. That's crazy. Shooting game. Are you old enough to play this game? <laughs> Mom, you sound like a mother. I guess I am, huh? Yeah. <laughs> I've actually always been fine with being alone with my two boys. We kind of like lean on each other. What time is it now? Eight? Okay. You ready for school? Let me know if you need help. I had a pretty tough life growing up. My mom abandoned me when I was about two. Me and my brother. We weren't even little kids. We were babies. And, well, let's see. I ended up in a foster home. Then when I was eight, I went to another foster home. Then when I was nine, I went to another foster home. Then a group home. So I was bounced from one place to another. So finally, at 15, um, I literally ran away. And um, when I had my child, I was determined to make it somehow, you know, to at least be a decent mother. I mean, my God, my mother gave me two years of herself. Two years. I have sneakers older than that. Hi, honey, how are you? Chef, chef. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, everyone. So I work for Cablevision. What I do there is CSR's customer service representative. It's a call center. We have 532 reps. It's a lot of people. Okay, sign in, 3 o'clock, on the dock, start up. I work night shifts from 3 to 12. Those hours were the only hours available. So when I come in, you have five minutes to read your emails, you have five minutes to get water, whatever you have to do. Signing on, it's got 3298. No talking. 3.05, you log in, and those calls, we basically say to each other, we see you in eight hours because you're on the phone. Constantly, 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 constantly. Thank you for calling. My name is Melissa. How may I assist you today? Oh, sure. I can definitely assist you with that. So let's see. Can you put your TV on channel three for me? Your TV, not the box. I literally take about maybe 150 phone calls in an eight-hour shift. And they want us to stay on the phone no longer than four minutes per person. I understand. Okay, I understand, ma'am. Okay, what does your screen look like? Is it blue? Is it black? Purple? I'm sorry, I can't hear you, ma'am. Most people call in upset, but sometimes you have to be understanding. How would you feel if your services sucked? Is there anything else that I can assist you with today? I do thank you for calling Optimum. You have a great day. Please hold for a short survey. Love it. I love it. I'm fixing problems. People are happy when they hang up with me. That's my calling customer service. Can you, press the you deal with the complaints, you fix the problem, hear complaints, you fix the problem, you know, all day long, all day long. Hey, Zaya.
Can you hear me? Yeah. All right. Um, my kids get out of school at 3.30. So I check up at like 6 o'clock, I call. What's up? All right. He doesn't want it? So he didn't want the, the food, so just give him some chef ID. You know how to do that, right? Anything else wrong? Because I just came outside to call you real quick. I got to go back inside. Yeah. All right, tax me if anything. Okay. All right. When Zaya was a baby, I worked at McDonald's. I worked at a at Friendly's, being an ice cream maker, <laughs> and I've even stripped. I was an exotic dancer, and I was willing to get on stage and strip for my son's money. I had no shame in that. Exotic dancing was actually extremely fun for me. It was acting. Being someone completely different. And no one cared, you know, where I came from. What's my real name? It was just a fantasy. I bought myself a car, kept an apartment. I went to college. And when I was done with exotic dancing, that's when I first really had a real nine to five that I could keep. And it's been like that ever since. By the time I come home, it's midnight, and um, everybody's asleep. <sighs> it's tight, tight, Jerome. The TV is blast and the light is on. That's how this child sleeps. It's really scary. Okay, looks like everybody's in bed. I can rest in peace now. Let me put on some good music here. Let's see. So, there is a subject that I haven't really spoken about yet. Um, after Isaiah was born, um, the first few months, everything seemed normal. And then I started noticing that everything that he would learn, he would backtrack. Like, he would learn how to walk and then he would out of nowhere start crawling again I think that was the first time I said is this normal then finally one day I came in and his doctor she broke the news to me and said he has what we call cerebellum taxia and that basically means the brain <clears throat> is unable to communicate with the body I was told that he was going to live maybe three to four years from the time he was diagnosed. That was it. So, enjoy your life with him while he's here, you know. Um, I think I just lost my cool when she told me that. I was just... I was upset. I was upset with myself. I was upset with the world. I was upset with God. You know, I I just felt like, you know, I was born with so much bad luck. And um, I just thought that, you know, this, this was going to be different. You know, you're going to have a child and I may not have been loved the way that I was supposed to be loved, but at least I can love someone else, you know? I used to think if 
he was to pass away on me, what do I do? Who do I call? I guess 911. You know, I was not sure. As he started getting a little older, I was pushing for him to get better, you know. You know, you got to try, you got to walk, you got to do this, you got to do that. You have to do it because I, I wanted him to be like me, you know, strong. It's this funny thing, you know. Here he is at 16. I look at him and I say, this has to be my child. What other child would beat the odds? The doctors don't understand, but I don't have to understand. I think I'm done. <laughs> I'm signing off. Definitely signing off. So I'm here in um, Zaya's school, and today's my day off work. Um, I wanted to talk to the teacher, see how he's doing. Just waiting at the guidance counselor's office. Yes. Hello. Hello. All right. How's he doing? He's doing much better. Much better. Isaiah is in a special class for kids that need um, extra help. I was just a little worried from last, you know, episode. His body is, is fine now. There's no problem with his body. He doesn't have a problem walking. He doesn't have a problem playing sports, you know. Everything's normal. But his IQ is a 79. So it's like borderline. And um, his brain is unable to retain a lot of information. You know, he can remember that game. But when he goes to school, he can't remember that book they read yesterday. So it's the learning part of it is, is the only thing that's left for him to conquer. Hello. Hey, Zay. How was your day? Good. <sighs> Ready to go home. Did you learn anything? Yeah, I learned a couple stuff. You learned a couple stuff? So, Zaya, anything you need to tell me? No? Isaiah got into some trouble today. The teacher told me that he was teasing. Teasing a kid who also has a disability. Isaiah, when you go back to school tomorrow, can you think you can say I'm sorry to the boy and don't do it again? I won't do it again, but I'm not saying sorry. Does he make fun of you? No. Does make fun of everybody? But listen, we're not, you don't have to be like everybody else. You are Isaiah. You are not everybody else. We're not perfect, okay? We both got issues, right? So can you promise me to stop making fun of kids? Can you? Yes. All right. I don't like to use his disability as an excuse. I feel like it's just something to overcome. I remember when Isaiah was little, you know, it was so hard to watch him not able to talk or not even able to walk without falling or tripping over his own feet. <laughs> so I bought him a bike with training wheels on it. 
and I made him ride that bike every day. I remember he used to put his feet on the ground and push the bike because he couldn't pedal. And that's how he started. He would scrape up his legs right up. And I knew he wanted to ride so bad. I used that to help him get the motor skills right. Train his brain. And listen, this is what you're supposed to be doing. I put straps on so he could put his foot in. <laughs> that was make him go get that mail. Go get that mail, Zaya. It's your turn to go get that mail. And the mailbox was far. And he would push that bike. And he would push that bike. And then one day, he put his foot on that second one. And he was pedaling it away. And I was like, wow. After that, it was shh, no coming back. Hey. We're chilling. We're just talking. <laughs> so, let's see. When you were still in my belly, I recorded how my life was and how you were made. And, you know, I was very young, only three years older than you. Yeah. So now I'm going to actually play you the CD that I made. And it was all about you and me. That's you. That's a baby. Today is October the 9th. Your birthday. <laughs> and I have a brand new baby boy, seven pounds. His name is Isaiah Seto. <laughs> And he was born at 1.30, right? 1.30, right? I can't believe this whole thing was inside of me. It's <laughs> <laughs> funny to you? <laughs> yes. Um, it was hard. It was hard. You were an extreme change in my life. A lot of people didn't want me to have you. People tried to talk me out of it said that I wasn't going to be a good mother. And I said I was going to love my baby no matter what. Love him more than anybody ever loved me. You understand that? Yes. <laughs> kind of mushy. <laughs> what else? How your life be different if you didn't have me? Well, if I didn't have you, um... I could say I was lonely before you was born. And you was born, it was almost like I wasn't lonely anymore. So no matter how bad things got, I knew I always had you. You know, I felt bad about your father. I felt like it was my fault that I chose the wrong person to be your father, you know. I tried to replace him with other men to be your father. <laughs> but I knew at the end you were just mine, and I was fine with that. I was just hoping that you would be fine with that. Are you fine with that? Yeah. Okay. Dun, 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 dun. What's that noise from? It's like when you play the game, they say, dun 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 dun, goodbye. Dun 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 dun. Game over. <laughs> Love that grin. <laughs> Let me stop it. Yes.
So, here I am, 34 years old. You know, I've been a mom half of my life. If I can do it over again, I would want to be a kid longer. Yeah, definitely. I remember when I was 10, one of the homes I was in, they used to send us to the summer camp, Camp Squanto. I just remember the orange Indian t-shirt I used to wear on the top of my bathing suit. And um, just want to make sure you were a good swimmer. And for the test, we had to tread water. You just treaded water until you just couldn't tread water no more. And I remember it was about 12 of us. You see one by one. You see one person tread for five minutes. Next person, 10 minutes, 20 minutes. And I think at 35 minutes, the last three people were there. And they were struggling. And this boy was looking at me like, this girl's still treading. And he gave up. I treaded for almost an hour and a half that day. And I would have kept treading, but they told me to stop. It was probably one of the happiest days of my life. I never thought about it before, but my whole life is treading water. You know? You have no support under your feet. You have no support over your head. You can't hold on to nothing. You're just out there. Keep it moving. You're listening to How Sound, the backstory to great radio storytelling. I'm Rob Rosenthal. That story won the Gold Award at the 2014 Third Coast Festival. It's called Teenage Diaries Revisited, Melissa's Story. Joe Richmond produced it along with Sarah Kramer. I talked to Joe at Third Coast about this story and his work, and about halfway through the talk, Melissa came up on stage, and they both took questions from the audience. So you, you make it sound so easy. Is it? Um, <laughs> no, actually, you know, I think sometimes, like, you know, sometimes it pisses me off that it, like, it sounds like it's just so, like, you just hold the microphone up and you just capture reality as it happens, like, no, man, <laughs> it's not fair. Um, no, obviously, you know, uh, all these stories, it's, you know, like, 40 hours of tape and it's all sorts of stuff, but I think the hardest thing about these stories is just constructing something that feels like a narrative out of all this found tape. I mean, it's kind of a puzzle that I love and totally love about it. But, um, you know, when it's more of a contained narrative, it's easy. It's like a sort of a day in the life or something like that, and you kind of have the frame. But figuring out the frame, figuring out the structure, that, that's the part for me that, that's the hardest. What do you do to, to guide the diarists? How often are you in touch with them? Are you listening to tape on a regular basis and saying, hey, look, you need to hold the mic closer, beware of wind, uh, who's this, aren't there other people in your life you need to talk, like how, how involved on a, like in this particular case, how involved were you, were, were you with Melissa? Yeah, uh, uh, pretty involved. I mean, the, the tech stuff isn't that big a deal. That kind of works out, sometimes it doesn't, but usually it does, and it's more the, um, you know, figuring out what to record and prodding them and kind of pushing. And as you mentioned about listening to the tape, there is this thing of like, 
this is especially true when for the teenage diarist that the sense of the recording for me and you need to kind of respond and listen to it and they need to feel like it's going somewhere. It's not just going into a hole somewhere. So that kind of feedback is important. Um, you know, back with the Teenage Diaries series, it was like, you know, they had tape recorders sometimes for a year. Um, they were teenagers, they had time. I was younger, I had time. This is a little bit more of a, a f- efficient process with these grown-up diaries. So it was, you know, the, they had recorders for like three months or so, depending. Um, yeah. But they, since they're adults, maybe, do they have less time? Yeah, I mean, that was one of, there were a lot of differences, like seeing this sort of teenage version and the grown-up version. But the biggest one is, uh, you know, in terms of the advantages of doing this stuff with teenagers, they have time, huge one. They're not like, they don't have kids and jobs and lives and, you know, um, they, you know, the big one actually is that teenagers have this like, you know, sense that everything they say is important and that's so useful. Because um, growing up, all of a sudden, you know, we're self-conscious. We're kind of editing ourselves, and we just like, why do you? Is this important? You know, so um, it works well with teenagers. But for me, these stories, obviously, going back to these lives 16 years later, you know, it, it was a hugely, you know, powerful project for me. You know, I, they were they are now the age that I was when I was working with them for originally, and just remembering sort of what my life was like their lives were like that time and to have that kind of longitudinal um, thing was just totally wonderful and moving for me um, you know that, like time, time is like the fourth dimension you sort of add that to the story and all of a sudden it becomes something else You don't narrate in the diaries I mean it's rare for you to narrate I know you do some and you've been doing more lately but you don't, do you ever wish you could just narrate? I mean, wouldn't your life be a whole hell of a lot easier if you just narrated? I'm just learning that lately. That turns out, um, yeah, writing is useful. Um, yeah, it, it, no, we have been doing more with the podcast and with some other stories. But in terms of diaries, no, I mean, like, you know, the way I think about it is, you know, do you want uh, Melissa in the passenger seat as someone who's stuck in traffic listening to her story and all things considered? Or do you want me in the passenger seat telling them about Melissa? It's, you know, it's just that that simple, um, that direct communication between someone telling their own life story and the listener, I think, is just something that happens in radio in a way that doesn't happen any, in any other medium in the same way. Because you don't narrate, do you feel hidden? Um, yeah, I suppose to the listener. I don't feel it myself. I mean, I know how much of my R as in Radio Diaries hand is in there. You know, there's a lot of direction. There's tons of editing, obviously. It's it's certainly not, as we said, this, you know, organic life as it happens process. It's a complete it's a very constructed, directed thing. But um but yeah, I think I I think I like the idea of the invisibility with these diaries. That's that's what I'm after. I uh, went online and looked at the piece at the NPR site, and I read through some of the comments, and one of the comments that struck me was someone had written, why do I care? Could you respond to that person? Oh, easily. I mean, like, the the best thing, one thing I love about these diaries is is that they air on the network news program next to the news from about, like, Ebola and Syria and... I just love that stuff of like paying attention to it and you have to, and you, you know, you bump up against that. So that's really important to me. What you get with that is someone who, 
you know, I like the, that the audience is people who weren't necessarily looking for that sort of a story and didn't expect it. And so you get some people who are like, wow, I, did, I didn't want that, but I loved it. And you get a lot of people who are like, I didn't want that and I still don't want it. And um, I want my news. And so that's just part of the territory. Um, as far as why do I care? I mean, uh, you know, um, I, I see Allison is in the audience. Allison, all things considered, was the producer of this series from NPR. And her golden rule was... Remember that uh, people don't necessarily care. You have to make them care. I'm misquoting it. But um, that's the whole purpose of these, really, the diaries, a lot of times, is to take these issues that people have such dehumanized kind of attitudes about or just kind of, uh, you know, like, yeah, and to just make them turn, in, turn them into real people. You know, these, like, uh, you know, issues that we think about in terms of numbers and agendas and all this stuff. And all of a sudden it's a real person and we think differently. So that's that's the kind of why do we care part of it. Well, we have a bit of a surprise, don't we? We do. <laughs> Melissa, do you want to come up? Uh, Melissa just flew in just now. Yay. Well, I really appreciate your, your flying in early and, and willingness to be up here. Can I ask you a couple of questions? Sure. What, why, why, <laughs> why did you do this? Why did you say yes to Joe twice? Um, I guess the diary idea, I really liked it. I did not know how many people was going to listen to it, for the record. I thought it was just going to be a group of people listening to a girl's story, say, oh, it's sad. Didn't think it would ever be. I was 17. I didn't want to write in a diary book, so... I thought speaking into the microphone was a lot easier. And how about the second time? Joe, really, come on, leave me alone, no? No, actually that didn't come around until I was in my 30s. Uh, the second one, I wanted to continue it. You know, life was so much going on. Um, when you have so much in your life, you don't stop to think about things. So thought it was still a good idea. We didn't have much computers and tweeting and Facebook going on. I think we had a MySpace then. So we didn't, I didn't see myself anywhere on the internet or ever even heard my story other than my own copy of my CD. It's actually a, it's actually a really interesting story about what happens. And so, so Melissa did two, actually two diaries when two. you were a teenager about having Isaiah and then a year later. Raising Isaiah. And then you, um, and then you disappeared. I did. Um, and what happened was, and I'll just say kind of a background. Disappear. You, know, you make it sound like I got kidnapped. <laughs> well, it's, it, it, Melissa had a, a very tough life. I mean, like tons of uh, foster homes, adoption, group homes, all that kind of stuff. And then you had Isaiah. Mm-hmm. And then I would say you, you disappeared from my life and also the people around your life who, I mean, the people that I knew that were connected to you and you left your city. So I, to me, you disappeared. And I lost touch with you for about a decade. Mm-hmm. And then out of the blue, I got an email. I did. I Googled yeah. myself one day. Um, I was doing a project, and um, somebody said, hey, you ever Googled yourself? And I'm like, no, my name is so common. How am I going to find myself? And I seen this big picture of me and Zaya when he was a baby, and I'm like, where did this come from? <laughs> and I clicked on it, and I seen Joe Richmond. I remembered your name. And I said, oh, my God, I know he's probably wondering whatever happened to me. I got to let him know I'm alive. So that's how I yeah. sent that email. I didn't even know if you re- actually read it. I thought maybe it was a star and your secretary would read it. We don't know who you are. You, you don't really understand the environment of public radio. No, no. Yeah. 
Um, but that but that email was well. What happened was we thought we would do a little story. We just get a little interview with you and Isaiah or something, mm-hmm. and it started to become this bigger story. And then that led to the series Teenage Diaries Revisited. So it was really that email that birthed this whole this project. Glad to help. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> do you get something from doing the diaries? Do you get, is there something that that you derive from doing it? Um, it's hard to explain. Um, you know, when people go through a lot, a lot, a lot of trauma in their lives, they go to therapy for help. Well, I hate therapy. And Teenage Diary became my therapy. Like, when I had the 10 years of no diary, I almost started writing, and oh my God, my handwriting is horrible. I couldn't read it. So when he asked me to do it again, I was more than happy to, even though I only had like 10 minutes a day for you. It was harder as I got older. Wait a minute, wait a minute. This story came from 10 minutes a day? I, well, it would go like all day. I would carry it around in my pocketbook without people knowing. Like I was at work, don't tell nobody. And I would hide it because I was so busy. All I did was work and talk to the kids and try to sleep. And in between, I would try to remember to turn the tape on. So I tried my best to hide it everywhere I went. I just carried it around. Sometimes I forgot it was even on and you would hear things and Joe said, ooh, we can't put that in there. <laughs> so. I, in terms of transparency and ethics, just because, you know, um, uh, one thing that the diarists do get out of it, and I should just say this, is uh, uh, we pay them. Oh, yeah. Uh, I remember that. Not, it's, you know, it's not, it's, <laughs> it's not a lot of money, more. and it's sort of, but, um, but my, imp, uh, the, the model for this thing is really not like their subject and I'm the reporter. It is they're the reporter and I'm their editor, producer, so... Um, it's not a lot, a lot like a salary money, but it's a little bit of token money, and it's kind of the. It's principle. one of those when you ask somebody to do something, they say, "I don't know if I want to spend that much time to do something." Which I give you twenty dollars a table. Let's do this. So I don't, it does I don't think give it you that. Like that. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want to make sure that we have time for you guys to ask questions. So I'm going to ask one while you guys think about what you want to ask and, and step to the mic. Um, did you ever learn something about yourself as you were talking? So you said it was a kind of therapy, and I'm just sort of wondering if you stumbled across something that you're, oh, wait a minute, I didn't know I thought that. Probably all of it. I was, when I was speaking to that microphone, I really spoke like if no one was ever going to hear it. And I think sometimes we ignore our problems, and we live our day by day, try not to worry about the past, try not to worry about the issues, just live for the moment. You only have 24 hours a day. So when you listen to it, you're like, wow, did I really say that? Maybe I shouldn't have said that. Maybe I shouldn't have told nobody. That should have been a secret. So it's not that you learn new things. It's just when you hear it, you're like, oh, my God, that was really me. Mm. Well, one, <laughs> one thing that can happen in these stories is, like, it's, again, it's not like um, documenting just life as it is. You're, you, know, like you never had conversations like that with Isaiah. Mm-mm. But because of the microphone, you did. You had a couple of them. So that was something that wouldn't have happened otherwise, but what, what did you, how did, what happened out of those conversations? Well, I think my son felt, you know, better after the conversation, because he probably, he's very nonchalant. He can care less. I care about it more than him, but when I brought up the situation with him, he was like, hmm, this is a different conversation. We're not talking about clothes or grades or me getting in trouble. So I kind of, he was, he was curious. He was very, like, wondering, like, What's going on with that? He was, he was interested, hmm. which is hard to get him to do, get interested. Would he not have been interested if the mic hadn't been there? I think he was a little afraid of the mic. A little? 
Yeah, so I wondered if it got in the way or it helped. I think that's kind of what you It did the same thing. It helped because he actually wanted to speak into it, but he was afraid of what is that? What is it going to do? You know, is that part of a conversation? You know, he was a little scared of it. Well, you had conversations you wouldn't have had otherwise about why you had him and about his disability. Correct. It was like a, you know, the microphone did its job. It actually brought out what he needed to say because he doesn't speak much. Those words you heard, those were a lot of words for him. Right, Joe? (laughs) The microphone did its job. That's Mm -hmm. an awesome, I love that. Can we use that from now on? Tweet it. (laughs) Tweet it. (laughs) The microphone did its job. That's stellar. That's great. Good. Hey, you guys. I'm Catherine Stifter. I um, run a documentary project called The View From Here that was very much inspired by Joe's work. We, do, we don't do diaries, but I send reporters with, with uh, recorders to go get where you guys are kind of getting with the diaries. And we have, used a, we have sent people home with, report, with recorders and been amazed. Um, I'm curious because we're always, Melissa, you may not know this, but we're always trying to measure audience. Like, you know, how many people listen to this? How successful are we? How do you measure the success of your story in your life? What have you used it for? I haven't used it for anything, actually. I kept it to myself. I don't tell no one I work. None of my friends know. My own sister hasn't heard it. Really? Yeah. And I felt almost like the audience that actually was listening to it, that's who I wanted to hear my story. Um, I didn't want to insult my mother. That was another reason. We started being close, and I didn't want those wounds to open back up. So I try to keep it away from from her as much as possible. Because you said some... I did say some straightforward things that I think she would probably cry if she heard and felt guilty and bad. And even though you probably think, well, she should, well, I don't know. I don't think payback is is a good thing. So it's my therapy. You guys listen, so that's all that matters. I would say that most of us wouldn't do half as well as you did if we had mics and recorders put in our hands and asked us to take it home. (laughs) You know, so thank you for your story. You're welcome. Yeah, it's insanely difficult just to talk into them. I mean, I cannot do it. I can't. That's why I script. I mean, I've, when I go to do it, it's called a stand-up sometimes when you go out into the field and you're just standing in this particular place and you're trying to report what's happened. I have no ability at all to do that. And that's, that's what you're doing. It's amazing what you're able to do with a microphone. Do when you know you, that? When you speak from the heart, sometimes the words just come out. Okay. <laughs> Note to self. Yeah. <laughs> Great. <laughs> try the heart. I'm going to try that. <laughs> um, so I'm curious, sort of, you, know, you mentioned sort of there's the discomfort or fear when you're doing it. How do you both navigate that as a collaboration? Those things that you're like, ooh, I wish I didn't say that, or, uh, you know, how do you navigate that as you're putting it together? and as you're involved in it. You want to answer that? Well, I, I, so I'll start off by saying that we, there's kind of a, a rule going in that, it, I mean, again, how this is different from being a subject in a story that I would do for NPR or something, that um, they can decide if, some, if they don't want something in their story. They have editorial control. It, um, I kind of fudge it a little bit in the sense that I say, I'm going to tell you what's in it, you can decide. You record freely. If you decide later you want it in it, just let me know. But I don't play them the story. It's funny because I was thinking the golden rule. Imagine mm-hmm. that you're playing the story. But I don't play it for them before it airs because then I think it opens it up to this, a different kind of editorial eye on their mind. How do I sound? But I tell them what's in it. 
And there have been a couple of cases with diaries where, the, say, the teenager or the parent didn't want some topic, something in the story, and, and we've honored that. Okay. Um, my name's Sarah. I have two questions, one's for Melissa and one's for Joe. So should I just ask them both? Is that okay if I ask them Just both? let me know which one is mine. <laughs> okay, yours is first. Okay. Um, I was just wondering, you said you didn't really want your family or your friends to hear the story, and you had this other audience in mind. And I was just wondering, who was that audience in your mind? Like, who were you imagining was going to be listening, and what, also, what did you want them to um, get out of it? Like, what were you hoping people would walk away from your story feeling like, and that's, you know, Gosh. that's worth it. And then, and then my question for Joe, which is like totally different, <laughs> is um, you said there's 40 hours of tape, and I always, I've heard you say that before, and I always wonder, like, how do you listen to those 40 hours? Are you like cleaning your room? Like, and then you're you know, just kind of letting it go in the background. You're like, oh, wait, 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 that was good. And you run over and stop the tape. Or, or do you, are you sitting at your computer taking notes the whole time? Like, what's that process of listening to that many hours of tape? So I actually want to know that too. Yeah, I, I, don't think, I don't think I've ever been asked that question. It's such yeah, a good that question. Was, like, that was actually really good. Um, I'll just quickly answer, like, you know, when I first did the Teenage Diary series, I listened to all that tape. Now um, we have people help. <laughs> um, so sometimes people transcribe or, or log tapes. You know, um, Sarah, who's right there, Sarah, Sarah K. Kramer um, is my co-producer on this series, and and Nellie. I don't know if she's here. We, had, you know, people go through it too. So, yeah. So my part of the story, my part is um, when I, I think when I did the story, I was hoping that the girls that I were in, in group homes with would be the ones listening. Um, that was my main focus. Hmm. Sorry. <laughs> How was it listening just now? Emotional, sorry. Yeah. It's all right. It's all right. <laughs> um. Can I ask you one last question? Sure. You have a room full of radio producers. What advice would you give them about doing diaries? a good question. Advice of both producers. If someone's working. Hmm. If someone wants to work with, to do diaries. With teenagers. Yeah, or anybody, or really. Anybody. Yeah, as a diarist yourself, what advice would you give them? What would you tell them? Oh, you need to do this, you need to do this, you know, or whatever. I would say, make the person feel comfortable to speak about their lives. Um, Joe was wonderful. He didn't pressure me, but he guided me at the same time, you know. He, um, you know, I got lost sometimes because I would just talk and talk and talk and I wouldn't even know what I was talking about, just talk about my life. And Joe would listen and be like, that's great, but let's focus on this, you know? So it was, it was good that he guided me to where I needed to be, because you can't get lost. Like a diary could just write forever, you can talk forever, especially me. So that I, th I, th I think I totally did pressure you in times, but the, the trick is, I think one thing with diaries is like some people, they're, they're just good at different things. I mean, mm -hmm. Melissa's a great talker. She'll just sit on her bed and talk and be really honest and really reflective and deep. Um, but maybe she wouldn't want to go out and record like scenes and interviews and things. Other, other folks will just go out and think like a radio producer and get all this stuff, but then they don't want to say anything intimate. So the pressure part is nudging what they are less good at doing or less... I'm comfortable doing. It was nudging, but not pushy. It's, pu it's pretty pushy, actually. I don't know. Maybe you don't. Thank you both, and congratulations. Really. Thank you. Great. Joe Richmond of Radio Diaries and Melissa Rodriguez. 
They were interviewed at the Third Coast Festival in 2014. Many thanks to them, especially Melissa, for flying in early to be interviewed for How Sound. Radio Diaries is a podcast, by the way. It's part of Radiotopia. Subscribe at iTunes. My interview with Joe concludes How Sound's series of live recordings at the 2014 Third Coast Festival. But I've got another live How Sound up my sleeve an interview with Anna Sale at New York University. Anna is the host of Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. So keep an ear out for that. This is How Sound, the backstory to great radio storytelling. It's produced by the Public Radio Exchange and Transom.org. My favorite new program from PRX is Reveal. Every month, Reveal presents an hour of solid investigative journalism. It's in collaboration with the Center for Investigative Reporting. Listen to Reveal at prx.org. And right now, Transom is accepting applications for two traveling workshops. This June, learn radio storytelling in upstate Michigan at the Interlochen School of the Arts or on Catalina Island off the coast of Los Angeles. Head to transom.org for more info. I'm Rob Rosenthal. Thanks for listening. From PRX. And transom.org.